Welcome to the Agile Career Podcast, where we will take you on the journey from employed for life to employable for life. We'll give you the tips, insights, and strategies to help you build the transferable skills that you'll need. So let's get started. Please welcome your host, Gunter Richter. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Agile Career Podcast. This is episode 13, and I can't believe I'm about to interview my 10th guest. Now, the show's only been going for just over two months, but I've been really impressed by the response. It's been really heartwarming to get some messages uh, saying that people are finding value in the show. So I'm really glad for that feedback, and I'm really, really glad and happy that people are committing their time to be part of the show and give up their time to be interviewed. So just a thank you to all the guests that have been on already. Uh, I really do value your time and thank you to you, the listeners, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I do appreciate it as well. So in this episode, um, another ep- another interview coming up, we're going to be talking to Matt Roadnight. And uh, Matt had started off like many of us do in a corporate career, uh, in this case, working on technology products and projects. And at a point in time, uh, Matt made a bit of a pivot and he moved more into a role where he trains and develops others. So we're going to be covering that off in the show, but we're also going to be talking about values. And um, uh, this is something that's important to Matt, as it is to many of us. But Matt's going to talk through how he developed some of his values and how those values guided him through his career. So without stealing too much from the interview, uh, let's get cracking. And uh, I'd just like to welcome Matt. Hello, Matt, and welcome to the show. I'm really glad to have you here. Thanks, Gunter. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. Thank you. Excellent. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess just before we get started, I wanted to set the scene a little. And I thought one of the good things or one of the themes to build the show around today was looking back on your career, as, as we always do, uh, and thinking about the sorts of things that you did in your career, you know, delivering projects uh, predominantly in a, in a technical environment, but at some point making a kind of career uh, change and a pivot and then going on to, I think, help others develop their skills, moving in a training direction, you know, f- moving on from a pure delivery one. So, but I guess before we get into the detail, do you just want to take a few minutes and introduce yourself, talk about what it is you do now and, and kind of how you got there? Yeah, so um, name's Matt Roadnight. Um, I'm an agile coach and trainer. Um, I generally uh, use Scrum as a framework to, to train. Um, I'm a Scrum trainer with a Scrum Alliance. So I've been doing this stuff since about 2004 when a guy called Ken Schwaber came and trained us, an organization I worked at called Kinchango. I'm sure that will come up in a bit. But um, that's made me look at the world a slightly different way, the way I deliver projects, the way I work. And that was a, a big shift then, I suppose a pivot, if you say. And then um, pretty much since then, I've been helping smaller projects and other, other organizations. And it's kind of grown over time. So rather than being, I suppose, being a bit of a meandering journey in a you know, gathering, um, uh, sort of adding layers as, as you go, really, kind of as, as a growth path. But yes, yeah, it's, it's always been interesting. It's always been kind of small meandering changes rather than big, big 90 degree turns for me. Really. And I think many, uh, many, many uh, careers are like that. Uh, you know, um, I read a stat recently that people change careers up to five or seven times. And that's not jobs, that's actual careers. Mm-hmm. And you tend to think that sounds like a lot. But when you look back on it and you look back on your career, you do tend to notice, well, actually, hang on a second, that was, that was a change. It might, have been, it might have not been a massive jump. But as you say, it's been a bit of a meander and it's, it's probably a different career than, than you set out um to to start and perhaps we can start at the beginning and go back um i mean i know obviously you you studied a a bsc degree in in computer science i think uh, which obviously was the start of your formal education around information technology and the sort of technology projects you worked on but i guess going back before university there were skills that you'd already started developing do you want to talk a little bit more about what it is you did out of school and what you envisaged your your career might become yeah uh (laughs) <laughs> that's a really interesting question I think when I was about 12 I always wanted to be a doctor I don't know what it was I always wanted to be a doctor um, unfortunately I wasn't very good at chemistry or biology so I kind of felt about the wayside and the only thing I was only half decent at was was computing I had a ZX Spectrum um, I had other other an Amstrad computer as well I think the only thing I actually enjoyed doing or was actually seemed to be any good at was was computing and I managed to take that as an A-level at a college and um, again, my other idea was maths I was pretty awful at and economics I was pretty appalling at too, but um, I got a pretty good grade at, at IT and I was quite good at that. I think what's interesting about education generally is that um, I think you tell people these, I mean, my, tells my kids this, is that you're, you're training for a job that probably doesn't even exist today. And agile coaching and training is just a made up thing that probably only came about 
as a proper career or, or a recognizing what people are asking for as demand and until about 2000, 2007, 2008, maybe before then it was something that's kind of floating around in the 90s, small amount of press. But that's interesting for me is it kind of that, that it, it, stuff I enjoyed doing. And I suppose there was some problem solving there and I enjoyed doing that. And that's kind of what got, drew me towards it. I felt it was something I was good at and I got rewarded from getting results from my, from my, um, uh, from my exams, I suppose. That's why I enjoyed it. Okay. So I think, yeah, I mean, it was a good point noting that, you know, your dream was to become a doctor, you know, you were cognizant of your strengths and weaknesses uh, and, and also what you enjoyed and, and, you know, use those to decide on, well, this is, this is the way forward. Um, so I guess leaving school then it, it wasn't straight onto university, was it? You did some traveling, well, pr pretty much. I think um, I I've done quite a lot of work to try and understand myself over time. And I did something then that probably I didn't understand why I did it. But I just really, really, I, I spent lots of time, uh, did lots of running when I was a kid. And I was in the Scouts as well, really enjoyed that kind of stuff, really the outdoorsy stuff. And um, I really loved the idea of traveling. Really loved the idea of it. I mean, those days you couldn't look on the internet. So there's an organization called Camp America. Um, who were looking for camp counselors to work over summer in the States with kids. And I thought, great, this sounds like a cheap way to go traveling. So I earn a lot of money. Um, they pay for the flight, you get bed and board, and they, they, you're there for 12 weeks helping kids out. So I put, I put on my application that I had lots of scouting experience. I've been a venture scout, love camping, did lots of out backwoodsmanship stuff or pioneering, that kind of thing, climbing, loads of stuff like that. And that put me in a position that they put, I, I flew out there, no idea where I was going. And it turned out I was on, I was on a, a scout camp for, for 12 weeks and I met some lovely people and I, they had some very posh camps in the States. I've got to say, it's not like the tents we have here, the proper beds, proper floors, that kind of stuff. But spent uh, spent 12 weeks working with, with kids who, who are scouts on, on summer camp in the States, which is a completely different culture to here. But that was amazing. I got to travel the States on a Greyhound bus, which is an interesting experience too. And I guess thinking then about what the next step was, because, you, you know, easily you could have thought, well, perhaps my future is in teaching. Uh, it, it might be in teaching RT or it could be in um, uh, working with kids or youngsters and, and developing them. Um, you know, what was your thinking then about moving into the workplace and what you needed to do after this, this kind of great experience in the U.S.? To be honest, I was just a teenager. I, I, you know, you can't see more the week ahead of you anyway, right? So generally you just do what's in front of you. One was, yeah do my do my levels um do, i quite like to go to uni so i filled in the ucas form and I, I i never visited anywhere i looked in the back I, I just picked some unis i think the big one for computer science at the time was coventry and another place out near uh, northwest london as well that i didn't really like the look of and then i got a brochure for kingston i quite like the picture of the um of the uh, the market square so that sounds quite good so i apply for that and I just went to the States and didn't really think about it. And then my mum, my mum went to pick up my results and she panicked because I went to two different, I went to college and a grammar school and the grammar school results were appalling. My maths was a U and I think my economics was an E. I needed four point, five points to get into, um, into a uni. And I, she went down to college and got my computer science result. And in those days, an E was one point, I got a B. So I got the five points I needed. So that was, it's a pretty low bar to be honest, but you know, she stopped panicking and, and you know, the next thing I know I'm at uni. So I kind of, went through that and at that time I just enjoyed playing with computers really so I went through that and what I really enjoyed was the socializing part of it so I think what 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 that traveling did I was independent I went around on a bus for a while with very little money so I was very used to so I, I got I suppose I threw myself into being very independent fending for myself in the late 80s in the states um and and traveling around the youth hostels out of a book you know the, the, the rough guide that you had those days lonely planet wasn't a lonely planet guide looking up places. So what, what was interesting is now I, if, okay, so I've done some work on my values and one of my values that's really, really high up that I found through the work I've done through, through coaching, et cetera, with other people. So a few years ago, independence is really high for me. Had I known that right then, I, I, all those, if you, I suppose you look back, I'm really, really like to work out on my own um, and push myself out there and like that, like, don't, don't like being tied down much at all, really. So um, I like the freedom really. And I suppose that's what came out of that traveling, et cetera. And then when I, at university, um, I managed to get a, an apprenticeship scheme. Um, well, I, I went a graduate scheme that was with a, with a company that did command and control systems for submarines and ships. So I worked in the defense sector, programming in ADA um, at the time, 
And so did that for a while. And that pretty much that kind of set me up again with, with, a, with a job and kind of got me. That was a really easy way into the job market. So as soon as I finished uni, I started working with them. And, um, and there I made an interesting choice there. I, I, I pivoted my made my first big change from developing software to um, doing IT support which was a big shift actually. And that's one of those things almost, I probably for a long time in my career, I almost regretted because I, I, I really enjoyed the programming, but I probably wasn't as good as I thought I would be at it. And it needed quite a lot of work and I ended up doing tech support for desktops, but it kind of ended up where I am now. So that took a while to get over, to be honest. And I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the topic of independence because as we talk through these different interviews or interviewees that I have on the show, uh, we obviously try and draw out those sorts of skills that you can develop at some, some stage and take with you through your career and, and, and throughout life. And, you know, some of the usual ones come up around people's skills and um, trust in yourself and all of those. But I think this is the first time that independence has come up. So that's, that's really interesting. And I think especially, you know, developing that at an early age, because I think if you're not sort of pushed out into the unknown, you might struggle to develop that at a later stage. Right. And, and I, well, okay. So it drives a lot of stuff for me. And I think um, for me, it's rather than a skill I've developed, it's something that's hardwired into me. It's a bit like, a, if you look at like a piece of rock, you look at the, you know, the Brighton's put on the middle of rock that goes all the way through. For me, my values go right through me and independence is right up there at the top, uh, along with a few other ones like security for me, um, family security for my family, financial security is quite up on that list as well. And so what happens is that that ferociously drives what I do. Um, for good and bad, really, um, it means that if people try and tie me down a little bit around stuff or get me in a proper job, in quotes, I, I don't enjoy it. And, and after two or three years, I need to change. And so about 90, I've always been in a consultancy role. I mean, the first job I, I, I shifted from the, the, um, the, the defense company was a consultancy role. Um, and, and again, I like the, like the variability. I like being out on my own, my own decision making, that kind of thing. When I went to Conchango, a big part of their values was... Um, I mean, the second day, the, the MD said to me, um, uh, I, I said to actually, the second day there, I said, have you got some advice, Richard, about a problem I've got? He said, Matt, the envelope here is pretty big. Um, if you step outside it, I'll let you know. But otherwise, do what you think's right. And so I stayed there a long time because although it was, it was, you were always thrown in the deep end a little bit, it kind of was, was part of what I did anyway. And, and actually, it just meant that I want to be frozen independent, but at the same time, it means you kind of drive yourself a little bit as well. Make sure you build other skills around that as well, I found. So, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting value. Well, I think those are great organizations to find. You know, one, talking about consultancy and, you know, easy to comment because I'm, I've always been in consulting as well. It gives you that, um, I suppose, flexibility or it gives you that taste of different industries, different projects, different customers and all of those sorts of things. But I think equally so, finding an organization that has values that resonate with your own is equally as important. Uh, and, you know, so I'm really glad you brought that up. I think, I mean, just perhaps drawing back to, to your move into the working world, you know, so moving out of university to this apprenticeship and uh, in the defense contractor contracting world, what was that jump like sort of out of the academic environment into the working environment? Oh, so um, my, 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 uh, my daughter at the moment is just going through uni and coming to, and people are, she's just sort of second year in, she's in a four year course, but other friends are in three year courses. And personally, what I found was really interesting coming out of schooling and university, things are really set up really, really clearly for you. You go outside that and then no one tells you what to do. It's really up to you. And I found that a bit of a struggle, to be honest. Um, what, what, finding your own goals or what you want to do next. It's just a completely open thing. And I think, that's what's interesting about, about, about schooling university. There's some very clear things set up for you. And then when those are taken away, what do you, what do, you do? Um, to be honest, I think I, I pretty much didn't take work too seriously initially. Um, I, I really enjoyed uh, um, playing music, to be honest. And, I, and, I, and I, I got a big vinyl collection, got a couple of decks. We had lots of parties, to be honest, and, and played lots of records. So <laughs> that was good fun. So I did that for a few years. And then I think after a while, I realized that's probably not going to pay the bills. I really have to take my career in IT a bit more seriously and see if I could do something else with that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's nothing wrong to, you know, it's that's what we want to do when we're young and, and possibly when we're older as well is, um, uh, you know, it's a party of it. Uh, so I think nothing wrong with that. But as you say, it's, it's, it's um, I guess school and university don't really set you up for 
moving into the working world and then thinking out for yourself, what are my priorities? What are the things I need to focus on? Um, and actually, I think what I didn't know then that I know now that I think kids these days are a bit more cognizant of is a bit of um, uh, understanding yourself. I can't remember what there's a, a guy called Peter Senge talks about it. Um, and pretty much it's, it's, it's sort of understanding your own, your own yourself as, as a person. And so understand what drives you. Therefore, you can make choices that resonate with you so you can make the world resonate with you. You know if you're doing something that you're not enjoying, it's not resonating with you. Therefore, you can have a choice to change it. Too many people are scared not to change that and, 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 and give in to the insecurity of the unknown. People like some certainty. So to jump out, if you're not enjoying something, to jump out of that and do something else, it scares some people a lot. And, and that's what holds them back sometimes. Um, and I think that's what was interesting, I think, coming out of university as well. And even like that, uh, sometimes you need fallow periods. It's okay not to keep pushing. It's okay to do nothing and reflect on and some change comes out of that as well so um i think that's interesting i think um uh, my i suppose my generation generally we've always worked pretty hard maybe we've got an ethic from our parents and that kind of drives a lot but also at the same time it's okay to take your foot off the gas a little bit and sometimes i must admit i'm, I'm i find that quite hard sometimes to switch off a little bit and, and turn things down yeah, I think certainly drawing out on what you said there about knowing yourself, and this tends to be a common theme that comes up in uh, interview after interview is is the importance of knowing yourself. And I guess using the example of going back to back to when you wanted to be a doctor, if you if you didn't have that level of self awareness, or you know, you could have said, "Well, I'm going to press on with this, and I'm uh, you know, I'm going to give it my best," and set yourself up on the wrong path or set yourself up for failure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a really good point. So I think what's interesting about that is I think if you reflect on that and I, I spent quite a lot of time as well, look at my values, um, my passions and my strengths. And there's quite a few things you can do with that. And I think what's interesting around those things is that if you look at those things, there are different ways things you can do to service that. Now, if I, I maybe picked doctor when I was a kid, cause I didn't really know much else, but actually I suppose I like to, I think some of my strengths around helping people. I like to help people. I think there's some general things around that. And I think, uh, being a doctor is helping people, but then also being a coach or a consultant is a way of helping people too. So there are different ways of doing it, of, of fulfilling your needs and your passions and your strengths without doing, there are different solutions to each one really. Absolutely. I think you've just, you've just drawn out the core of the show there in terms of saying, well, these are the sorts of transferable skills that you can use in different careers. And uh, as you say, you know, you've taken that passion uh, for, for helping people. And uh, you know, in the early bit of your career, it was obviously delivering RT solutions you know, later on, it's, it's the sort of training that you do and, and helping people develop. So yeah, no, that, that's a great point that you've drawn out there. Uh, and so I guess moving on then, uh, you've, you've talked about Conchango and, um, you know, you, you, you did say earlier on that you didn't like to get tied down to, to, to one thing, but you know, you joined this great organization. You stayed there for, I think it was more than 10 years, 12 years, um, there, yeah. 12 years. Um, you describe the values resonated with your own, but there must've been a journey within the organization as well yeah, that you yeah, took. So, yeah. So pretty much before the, the, the reason I joined there is that I worked for another company beforehand. I'd taken the, the shift, if you like to, to desktop support, but at the same time I kind of worked with a lot of server installations and I've done some BI work around SQL server and I set up a European um, configuration for another company. I was doing that. Um, just after that, I kind of took a break. Um, I had um, I said I'd always go and travel, uh, I, I, you know, and I had a long-term girlfriend at the time. Well, I was going to go to the, to Australia for a year. It didn't seem that like was very fur on her because we were living together and we had a house together. And so actually what I ended up doing was just taking three months off and going to Indonesia, which was quite good because she came and joined for the end of it. And then I managed to um, uh, propose on, on a sunset beach in, in, uh, in near Bali, which is lovely, on a, a lovely deserted island. That was fantastic. And then when we came back, um, I got my interview with Kinchango and that's what kind of set me off on that path. And I think what was interesting there is you could, you could pretty much do anything as long as there was an opportunity. So, okay. So that's something that's really, really, really key to me as well. Um, something that came from my, uh, I was working at a, a smaller consultancy there and something Trevor, my boss there said to me, look, if there's an opportunity, go and grab it. And I'm very much taking that to heart over time. If there's any opportunity, I will go and have a look at it and grab it. And I think what's happened over time is I've grabbed opportunities and each opportunity has been a growth, but at the same time, some opportunities have been outside, a bit outside my comfort zone and it's pushed me a little bit to the point where I've managed to push myself so far. 
I found my limits and I've managed to break myself for a while. And that was interesting. Uh, yeah, and I, I managed to, I had to take some time off work uh, because I was working too hard, burn the candle at both ends, work and home. Uh, and then, but after that, that was another, another key pivot for me as well, really a key kind of insight for myself really, and a change in direction as well. And I mean, I like what you said there, you know, you, if, and this came up in the last show as well. Um, it was an opportunity that, um, that uh, Peter, who I talked to took and it set his, his career direction in, in, in the right direction, just because it was something random that came up. Um, but taking that opportunity, I like what you said about pushing yourself and, you know, you're going to push and push and push till you get to that limit. I guess, how do you getting to that limit then and, and understanding um, what that limit is or where the limitations are, how do you move yourself on beyond that? So you say, well, hang on, there's a gap here. What, what do I need to do to close that gap down? Okay. Um, you could use the healthy way or the unhealthy way. So I, I talked through the unhealthy way. <laughs> so um, I think I, I say another one of my values is learning and improvement and then independence and the security around that. So pretty much always striving, I suppose. Which meant that I came up with opportunities as I always pushed myself quite hard, but I probably didn't look at, um, I think self-care as a value is quite low on my list. I think it's interesting when you talk to anyone, self-care comes quite a long way down. And, um, and, and if, you don't, if you don't look after yourself, at some point you're gonna burn yourself out. So what I, I was doing is pushing and pushing and pushing in many fronts. And then um, I pretty much got to the point where I just had a breakdown. I, I, I couldn't work, I was, with the house was being built, and I was doing with a really tricky client up in Harrogate, no, Leeds actually, up in Leeds, um, doing the really tricky client. I think I had three or four clients on the go, and this one was a really big, complex, political one where they were trying to get me to write a report, to bash them over the head to do something else, and it was just loads of stuff to take in. And I, I just didn't want to leave my kids at home. The, the house was a mess, there was no heating, it was February, it was snowing, the boiler had broken down again for the third time, and the whole thing just ripped me apart, really. And then after that, that's when I started looking, doing some more coaching, et cetera. So pretty much understood where my limits were. In that time as well, I think after that, I now know when I'm redlining and I'll pull back. I'll stop pushing so hard. I was pushing too hard for too long. And I think that's kind of what did it for me. Just trying to, living too many values too long and not doing enough self-care. And, and again, I think it's that self-awareness, you know, realizing when you get into that point and understanding that, you know, hang on, I, I need to sort of cut back or push back a little. Um, and then, on that point as well, I, um, what I tend to find a lot of organizations, like Kinchang is a great place to be. There's always a lot of pressure from the, from, from, from the sales and the business to do more and do more. And I think I was kind of probably pulled up in that as well at the same time. And it's quite hard to, to pull back from that when people are trying to get more from you to, in a commercial environment um, really that's kind of and that for me was it was a big was a big thing yeah it's it's you've got all of these these i guess these asks or these requests or pressures coming from all different directions and as you said project delivery business development you know building a, a home being away from your kids and 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 it all adds up uh, and as you say it's it you know can lead to an unhealthy outcome so what's the healthy approach then in terms of um the healthy approach, I think, it just understand is the work I've done since. Understand what you are, your values, your passions, and your strengths, and understand you can overlive some values. Um, and I think pretty much you, you know what's going on when that's happening because you don't feel quite right. And I think it's it's time to sit down and reflect about what's going on. And also, I think for me, it's um, one of my other things is a bit of a people pleaser. So how do you how do you say no? in a constructive way and put self-care further up the list um i think now i'm a much more cognizant and aware of how much impact exercise has on my well-being and also not working and taking some time off and spending it with the family uh, but also um saying no to some work stuff too so keeping a healthy balance really i think that's the thing i was imbalanced um, and I, I don't think, I think I talk to a lot of different people. I think these days people, I think my daughter's generation is much more, again, much more aware of this stuff than my generation. I've kind of learned the hard way if you like. And I, I don't think my story, I speak to a few people over this. And I don't think my story is that rare these days. I know things like, um, you know, uh, it's what's, what's the word these days? Mental wellbeing is, is yeah. a part of people's agenda. I think it would have been called that back then as a poor, you know, I wasn't having a great mental well-being, right? 
these days uh, people are a bit more aware of it and it kind of comes up a bit more, but, um, and I think companies are more aware of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we talked on, uh, it was on episode three, I think with David Beanie, uh, who is a counselor uh, and he, you know, he focuses on, on mental health, having gone through a, a breakdown in his commercial career uh, and, um, you know, having poor mental health and, I think, you know, during during that show, we spoke a lot about unhealthy workplaces and I guess going back to the 80s and 90s, perhaps, you know, it happened a lot more than we, we, we think or, or, or a lot more than we're cognizant of now. And, you know, in, in many ways, especially in the consulting environment, it tended to be the norm. You know, it was, you were expected to put in those additional hours. You had to go in on weekends uh, at, the, at the request of, of a partner or a senior partner just to be on hand to help. Uh, with stuff. So I think, you know, we've certainly moved in the right direction to more people friendly workplaces and, um, and we're more conscious of, of mental health. Yeah. I think what's, what's, what's always interesting there is um, I'd speak to a lot of people in training, etc. And okay. So a lot of what I do around agile coaching, the reason the, what drives me actually is that, 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 that episode that happened to me where I kind of stopped working for a while I take a lot of energy out of that, despite the fact it was really a quite a negative experience for me emotionally. It was a really emotional experience. And I think it's interesting for me, as I talk about change as well as interesting, change doesn't happen without emotion. Um, if you've got a lot of emotion, a big, big, much bigger shift can happen. And for me, that was a massive, massive learning point. And pretty much what I do today, a lot of what I do around using Scrum as a framework and, and teaching it is that I saw it as a way for helping people getting overworked in teams. It's a way of controlling how much work you pull and you can push it's a pull model and so pretty much when i found it with um so just when i was convalescing ken schwaber came over i saw the stuff and i went this stuff's amazing and and i was a scrum master for my first team i made sure i protected the team from all the demands that are coming and i was really really hard on that and just took all that away from the team took all the pressure away let them do their the best work and they and they loved it and we did some amazing work with that and and that that team actually was in 2004 we set up i found out recently because uh, it was some of the team members from romania i spoke to a chap called horia um and um it's his birthday yesterday so happy birthday horia if you're listening um it's um that team is still together in name the people have changed but they've still got the same client and they've re-platformed three or four times that that system now it was for for a, um, for a mortgage company that system has been in place for 15 16 years and the people have still got, I mean, it's outlived the organization Kanchanga that's doing it. So no, the company, other organization they had, it's still got that team and still got the work. I think that's a real, a, a real testament to really engage people in the work and letting people do good work and high quality work. And I think there's too much pressure these days to get people away from people. And that's what I think a lot of people really enjoy doing a good job. And they feel that's taking away a little bit if they're given too much stuff to do. So it's having enough time to do a good job, a craftsman kind of job, which I think generally, you know, Prior to the industrial age, people with cabinet makers, that kind of thing, always had pride in their work, the stuff they were doing. And I've, you know, some of the pressure of the business these days can take that out a little bit. It's nice to bring a bit of humanity back to the workplace, really. Yeah, ultimately, you know, it is all about people and it's so easy to forget that. And I think, you know, the bit that you mentioned about Scrum and thinking uh, around some of the ethos or the, or the values behind Scrum are, you know, what kind of got you, you motivated or what kind of got you interested in that. And, you know, certainly that was my experience as well, having received some, some training from, from you uh, doing an agile uh, Scrum certification. I think the value for me was not so much in the sort of functional aspects of, of the methodology, but more in the philosophy. Uh, and I think there's some really great takeaways there in terms of, how you deal with things and you know, it's stuff that you don't apply only to a software development project. You, you can apply them in, in many aspects of your life. So I think that's a really good point that you've, you've made there. Yeah. So a big, a big focus of the Scrum Alliance is to transform the world of work for sustainable places. Um, you know, that, that really let people flourish and deliver value as well. And I think what's interesting to get the best out of people more and more that I've outside the framework and as time's gone on, things have shifted somewhat. We're just understanding people and, and what makes a healthy relationship, what drives people, people thriving, all that kind of stuff. There's some, there's some common factors underneath that. And I think just um, uh, and just engaging people and giving some autonomy about their best work really, really helps actually. And I think there are some common things for most people. And just to create that environment with, where people care for one another, they have each other's back a little bit, they build some trust. In fact, there's a guy called Paul Zach would say that, you know, any, any 
two great two things with teamwork. Uh, that's trust and purpose. You really, really focus on where you're headed and, and some trust with the team. That everyone's got each other's back, and that's a, it's a great building block. And there's quite a few teamwork instructors out there that kind of have trust at the bottom. So it's, it's all about people and relationships, really, in the day. And I, that's what I do when I when I, I coach organisations. Generally, I feel like a bit of a marriage counsellor, to be honest. Just trying to get to work together effectively. You know, and that's it. You know. Yeah. No, I think trust is is key. You know, often organisations say. You know, it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. Um, but you, when that does happen, sometimes I think people feel left exposed. Um, and that's where that sort of trust breaks down. And, um, you know, what's, what's said is not the way that's, that's acted. So I think that's really key. Uh, trust. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. And I mean, you talked about a journey, you referred to Conchango again, and, um, you know, we, we spoke about you being at Conchango for 12 years and I guess there was a journey there as, as we've said, but it, it came to a point where I think it was time for a change. Um, what was your thinking? What led you to that point? Uh, um, so it, really interesting. Uh, it was almost a case study on how to not to take over an organization. Um, because I think what happens quite a lot is the culture changes. And I think the culture is what keeps people there. The gel that keeps people there. And I, I almost see like Kanchang was a nice little sunny consultancy really. And then we had a big dark cloud of EMC that took us over, who was kind of a, a product company. And um, they didn't really understand consultancy, but they wanted to grow it all. Um, and when they came in, they were okay, it was okay for about six or nine months, but then they started to try and impress their own process on it. And the 10% of the, of the work that I didn't really enjoy, the, the, which is quite lightweight there, which is kind of the accounting, the, you know, the billing, that kind of stuff, the contracting, the reporting, that became like 50% of the work. And, and the 10%, which is the exciting bit, working with clients became too much. And it, it just found, became too restrictive, really, to, to work within. And for me, being quite independent and flexible, wanting autonomy, it just didn't really fit for me. So literally, um, it was and, and there's some, and, and it just it was too constrictive. And you just, you just didn't feel good. So that, that the, the emotion I talked about earlier on about change, I just didn't feel that this organization was resonating with what I wanted to do. Therefore, I just, do, do I stay here or do I, what do I do? And then... Funnily enough, we were getting quite a few opportunities come in to opportunity again from other companies to do some agile coaching. Um, an opportunity came in from a client, but it was too small for EMC to take over. It was it was something like twenty. It was in September, August or September, and it was about twenty days worth of work. And Kinchanga, EMC didn't want to do it. It's too small. So I said to the client. Um, I can, do you want to do the work? I can, I can do it for you. We've got to wait a few weeks. So I've got to leave the company. They said, okay, we'll wait for you. So I had my notice in and, um, and jumped and, and did that piece of work. And I think um, it was September. I think my goal really with them, so I started my own company. That was a big jump to take. My goal was to make it to Christmas. Um, and I think that's probably since then. I've just, I, oh, interesting about skills again. What was really great at Kinchanga, I got, I, I grew so much there because of the growth that was going on there. There's amazing people around you as well. I grew really, really comfortable. I put myself outside my comfort zone. I became very broad in what I did. I could probably talk to most aspects of IT with most people, most companies in, in, a, in a way that at least I come across as knowledgeable um, and uh, credible. And that really, really helped me then in selling. I could always sell myself very, really well. So that really helped me then becoming independent, running my own company that I could go and sell myself really, really well off the back of that. And that's kind of what what drove me, I suppose, and after then I did a few speeches, a few talks, got other clients. Before you know it, and then you know that's my company ongoing. And after a while, and at that time I'd had my Scrum Trainer um, certification, but I didn't do much of that. I just did a lot of coaching with companies, a lot of working. That changed about four or five years later, really, when I started doing a bit more training. And thinking about that moment, uh, there was obviously the the driver of this this work environment changing, and EMC being very corporate and. Uh, as you say, changing the shape of the work. Had that other opportunity for delivering those 20 days of work not come along, would you have stayed longer? Had you made up your mind already? Or was it just a kind of, I don't want to say perfect storm, but was it just the two coming together that that, that, that really pushed you? A lot of people were leaving at the same time. But I think um, I'm quite risk averse. A bit of security is another value we talked about. Mm -hmm. I think um, I felt a lot more comfortable stepping into something rather than stepping into an abyss of nothing. Um, and so, and I think still, that's very much what I do. I, I try and link, I, I think, okay, so it, it, it's really hard to plan where you're going to be in two years time because you know what's going to come up. 
And so again, it's almost like stepping stones and stepping on opportunity. If you don't like it, try and shape it to what you enjoy. If you're not enjoying that, don't do that stuff again, do something else. And you can keep stepping stoning. And I suppose at some point, if you're going through enough stepping stones that are pretty similar, you kind of like this stuff, it's, it's working for you, it's okay. Um, I, I'm not one to just jump completely with, without, 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 without bootstraps, without a parachute. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. So again, security is another another, another value of mine. Um, knowing that I, I do quite well as a business, it kind of runs okay. We get some work in. I'm not sure I just completely shut the door on that and go do something else. What I'd rather do is hedge my bets a little bit and make some time to do something else and then try and move that. I think the challenge is making the time to do it. Yeah. As you, I mean, you, you, um, you talked about earlier around balancing values and I think, uh, um, you know, taking that as an example, the other thing you said was change, change doesn't happen without emotion. And I guess typically in that environment where you've been taken over by a corporate, you're having all of this bureaucracy forced upon you that tends to evoke a, an emotional response. So, uh, you know, it would be easy to say, well, you know, I'm done with this. Here's my notice. I'm out the door, but equally so balancing that with your value of security and saying, okay, but hang on a second. Uh, let's, let's balance these two and, uh, you know, take a reasonable approach to moving my career onto the next stage. Yeah. Yeah. Either it, it, I suppose I didn't know what my career was going to be in the next day. I did know that I enjoyed agile coaching and training because we've done more of that. And that was a good thing for, again, um, that, that job didn't exist after I, I trained, I worked with a few internal clients and then clients started asking us for agile coaching and training. So started doing that and pretty much ended up working on my own in Psych and Django. So I knew I could go and do this stuff. Um, uh, and, and agile coaching is kind of an independent kind of thing anyway. It's quite hard to build a, a bigger team around you to do that. But it can be done. But, um, um, at that time, it's kind of more limited, and I suppose, um, yeah, that's quite, kind of. I end up that was quite a, an independent thing. It was quite a good fit for me because I, that was a high value, and it kind of worked for that. So I suppose it was about time I started sort of all I, I suppose what changed really is the way that I, I that's generated sales that was given to you. I've got to go and do that as well now. So it's something I could do. Lead generation or marketing is something I didn't do, and I still don't do very well. I must admit, it's one of my my gaps as a business, but. You know, I think for me, it's doing a good job with people and other people get to hear. And generally someone would give an opportunity somewhere. Yeah, I think. And, you know, you said taking on that 20 day engagement, you, you know, you had the short term goal to make it through to Christmas. Uh, I guess then it was realizing that you had to do this lead gen and, and, and you know, bringing you business. Um, I guess you had a track record, uh, you know, from, from the corporate environment that you worked in and your 20 day track record has been an independent. Now, you, you know, what, what were the next steps that you took to say, well, there's some, there is some stuff I need to address. I do need to develop some um, skills around bringing in new business. You know, how did you tackle that? Uh, so really I just, um, I suppose I started, I think the key thing I did really was, was I did that work there and I, I got myself out there and started networking a little bit. Um, I, 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 Went to a few talks, did a few talks, and off the back of one of those talks, I got another gig with a with a company that was there for a few months, um, a spread betting platform, IG Index, to work there for a while. Coached them and their teams, and that went that went really well. And then, um, and actually, had a few other clients as well. And what I was finding actually um, that I quite liked the flexibility. I was finding the overhead of finding the work was quite high. Plus, two three two days here or there, having three or four clients, it was quite a challenge loading your your brain around that and say so what in that do someone offered me another role um through through another link make pretty much coaching an organization and that's more of a contractor role they kind of got me as a freelancer so that was interesting i must do that was okay for a while but again that kind of thing runs out a little bit so and then i can kind of end up doing the, the training stuff which is a much better fit for me as well so yeah it's a bit of a journey really i think i think whenever you make decision you've got to reflect on is it the right thing for me now or do i is it working for me if not what do i change and i suppose i'm always taking more agile approach to stuff, right? Doing something, see how it feels. If I'm not enjoying it, suck it up for a little bit and then change it and then find a point where actually I'm kind of happy with the way things are really. But I suppose that's the, the thing is, it's like what I've got is good. I enjoy what I'm doing. I found a nice place right now. I'm enjoying this for a while, but what will probably happen sometime is I'll, I'll change my mind or something will quite work out and I'll try something else, you know? So it's, it's always that. It's having the, the autonomy to go and shift it or change if you want to or the choice if you like. Yeah, and I, and I guess we, we kind of always have a choice, but but sometimes it's more difficult to, I think, deliver on that choice. And uh, I think, you know, 
testing and trying the approaches that you have through your career has certainly built those skills and given you the ability to make those pivots more easily, I think. Um, I think, you know, as opposed to perhaps working in a financial services institute for 20 years, that's, that's a lot more difficult to change. Um, yeah, I think, I think there are... There are some things that are outside your control, but some things are inside your control as well. I think even if you're a financial institution, I think just understanding uh, your, your values, your passions, and your strengths, you can look at what you do and you know what jobs you don't, you know what jobs you really, really hate and you know what stuff you love a bit more. And so even in a big corporate, you could probably do, try and do more of the stuff that works for you, you resonate with the stuff you don't like. And I think that, that, that core of our values, passions and strengths again, a lady called um, Amy, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, but she does something around job recrafting. So go and have a look at this later. But pretty much those three elements, if you look at what you do on a daily basis, see which things you love, which things you don't like. Um, as long as you're, you've got some sort of level of autonomy in your organisation, you can probably shape the things that you do on a daily basis to be more resonant with what you're doing. At some point, though, if you're not really not happy where you are, a bit like a few times I've done it, you will make a bigger shift and, and do something else. Like there are things you can try and do inside your inside your, and in organization to try and shed those things you don't enjoy. Just identify things you do enjoy and recognize you have a choice, but they may be limited at some point. Yeah. So I think it's, it's almost talking about, uh, and I think one of the things you talked about on your courses is that container. So, so kind of setting that container and uh, perhaps using that approach and, you know, absolutely almost in that corporate environment is almost being a bit of a consultant. So, you know, you've got customers, they, they might not be external to the organization, they're internal, but certainly if you have a bit of autonomy and you have that consultant mindset, you can probably do the things that you, you like to do, as you say. I think it's, it's having that growth mindset. Things aren't fixed. I can learn new things and I can shape the world around me just to some point. I can make some choices as well. Choices about how you're treated with people and what you expect from other people. So, you know, that makes you feel it better. Like I think you mentioned earlier on about toxic environments or unhealthy, unhealthy cultures. You can you can you can push back on people who don't um, probably interact with the way you, you enjoy. Um, uh, but obviously, there's, there's a limit. You can't. What I have found, it being being part of an agile coach, trying to change organisations, you can't change people. They've got to change themselves. And so, no matter what, you can you can bring things up. You can have conversations. You can co-create with people. But unless they really want to change, they're not going to make that shift. And you can keep trying and trying and trying. Uh, and it's, there comes a point where I suppose you, you either live with it or do you want to make another change yourself and, and, and do something else instead? I think any organization is always, if you're looking to, to make a bigger change, it's, it, I can pick myself up and maybe look for another role in the same organization or I can shift organizations as well. But I suppose it's understanding you have that choice and I suppose the courage to go and make a change as well. As well. And I think with any change, um, there's always an edge. There's always like a, 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 some resistance to change. Everyone has it. It's, it's how big that edge is. And, and, and recognizing that there is some resistance and overcoming it is you can do what I've done in the past is having smaller steps to visit for a while and come back again, or you have a bigger shift. The bigger the change, the bigger the edge is going to be actually. And there's always some resistance to that. So it's understanding that and overcoming that resistance really. Yeah. You make a good point about overcoming that resistance or, you know, bringing about that change and, you know, from a, from a, a traditional change management approach, we say, you know, you can't change an organization until the people in that organization change. And, you know, one of the models we use for that is, is the ADCAR model. Uh, and it's, it's an acronym for um, its awareness, desire, um, ability, uh, sorry, knowledge, ability, and, and reinforcement. And the first step is, is um, awareness. And if, if that person isn't aware of the need for change, there'll be no desire to change. Uh, yeah. And, and so, so that's absolutely the first step is, is that awareness of that desire to change. And then I think, as you say, deciding how big those steps are going to be, uh, which then determines the, 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 the size of that edge as you've described it. And I, I think if you're going to change as a group, you need to make people sure make the people involved who are, I suppose, affected by the change, involved in the change, so they shape it. So they've got some ownership with it as well. So they feel they've got some control or some autonomy. And that's, a, that's a big part of things as well. So they're involved in doing, cooking something up together. It becomes an awful lot easier to change because they're co-creating together and moving forward together. Yeah. People like to have, I think, a say in their destiny. And I think, uh, uh, you know, probably looking back to the Conchango EMC thing, you know, there was a point when it was Conchango, you had a say in your destiny when the corporate came along and acquired you, that's, you kind of didn't have a say anymore. 
Um, I, I, I sad to say, but I suppose the say that the action to, to 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 get that back again was a lot bigger, and the resistance a lot harder, which is pretty much leaving a company you've been with for so long, really. And that's uh, that's always a a bit of a, of a challenge because obviously you've built relationships with people there too, but at some point maybe you know um, it wasn't quite right for you anymore, and you've got to do something else. So, yeah, that's 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 a good point and a good way of looking at it. All right, so I guess more than ten years now in you know running your own business, you, what have, what have the biggest surprises been for you, and the, the I guess the biggest lessons? Um, point, I think. That, I, I think sometimes there have been some opportunities I've turned down. Uh, not sure. I, I don't regret them, but um, um, I suppose my independence has been quite ferocious sometimes, and so I've kind of ended up working quite independently as a consultant quite a long time. Um, and then um, I did get asked to help set up a consultancy, so I've turned that down. That's gone and done very, very well. So it's, it's, it's an amazing place to work. There's, there's a, it's in the top three place to work in the UK now. Um, um called Clarisis, Matt Chung runs that. And all the things, I've really worked closely with them to help them create the values, et cetera, with the organization. But again, I've not been part of that, but been on the outside helping them out. But they, they've done an amazing job there around taking Agile and the principles and the values and cooking that in. But a few years ago, um, we, um, I, I, I kind of talking with a few other agile coaches, set up Beliminal uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a loose network. So we're kind of an LLP, just trying to work with some other people. And that's been an interesting journey is trying to try and keep that independence, but also trying to work with, with a wider group is, is quite interesting, especially when you're all so independent and so different. And so how do you, how do you move together uh, as a group to get a, a common offering around what you've got, but also doing that? I think for me, the, the biggest thing has been kind of, I suppose, working with with partnering and working with people i think that's a that's always been interesting i think when you're in a company you've uh, you, you know you're in a team uh and you're all in the same company you're kind of employed and that kind of works in some manner but then outside that you're trying to partner with other commercial organizations there's the whole commercial stuff on top of that it's going on outside that's always gets a whole other spin around that as well uh, and what, what good practices around kind of working i suppose with what is good business practice or not. And some, some people are more cutthroat than others, but everyone kind of at the end of the day, they're a commercial entity and that always brings another spin to it as well, actually. So I suppose with that, it's always an, a bit, bit of a bit of wariness and a bit of caution with it and just be open up front about that and just be happy with what you're work, walking into really. Um, and just be clear on that as well. And bit, I suppose, again, uh, don't, don't hold your principles too highly. I suppose hold some principles but be a bit more flexible with that as well. So I'd always try and be flexible and easy to work with to try and make sure you build some, some decent relationships and partnerships because you need those to move forward too as independent as, as a business or small business. It's, it's understanding that network and, and working with people like that as well. Yeah, it's a good point. I think it, it'll be incredibly difficult to do everything on your own terms, I guess. Um, and at the end of the day, it's, it's about forging and, 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 and maintaining those relationships. So, yeah, that's a good piece of advice. And I think things change over time as well. So some relationships are quite good at some point. There's some work around it kind of pales off a little bit. Um, so I think being flexible, understanding things change and, and, uh, over time as well. Uh, and I, I was going to say one more thing, but on, on those things, it's gone now. It's gone. It's gone in the ether. Idea. It's okay. It'll, it'll come to you as soon as we finish the interview. Um, one of the things that that uh, that I wanted to ask you was, as part of being an agile coach, and you know, you look at your certifications, and they they read like an honors roll, you know, um, in, in terms of all the, um, the the Scrum certifications. It's obviously a learning journey, a learning sorry, a learning journey that you go through yourself. But what have you found to be either the biggest enablers, you know, of learning and progressing, or the biggest blockers? Uh. I think the biggest neighbors for me are, are being driven by client demand. So in order to, to do well at a client or to come across well, become trusted and kind of thus to advise, I take, I take the quality of work quite seriously. I suppose that's one thing is, is always a, a, that drives the learning. It's all very well reading in a book, but you've got to go and go out there and practice it as well. And I've always kind of tried to bring some new ideas and practice stuff and, and craft my own things as well. And that's been a pretty key thing, I think. Um, and I think also what some things that hold you back sometimes are for me, it's, it's almost, I'm a perfectionist. That's my problem. Things are, are not good enough. Sometimes the problem is that they don't always go out there. Um, and it's always a driver to being 
to, to learning more and is when is there enough when is there enough that kind of stuff i suppose and that's kind of a, a bit of a, a bit of a, a blocker to pull that back a little bit but i think um what's been interesting about the journey i take not just process frameworks but also trying to change organizations is the journey around kind of learning some coaching um executive coaching techniques and organizational or relationship coaching techniques and then bringing those to reflect and improve myself and understand myself, but also trying to bring that stuff to, to the teams as well, more the people base as well, more and what I teach as well. I think people really appreciate the people side of it because it's close to all our hearts, us all being, being human beings ourselves, really. Yeah, no, that's really, really sage advice. Um, I guess on the, on the topic of advice is looking back, uh, what would you have told your 18-year-old self? Um, don't worry. Everything will be fine. Do what you think is right. Everything will work out right in the end. I think I am, I, I do, I do get, I'm not, it's really hard to predict the future and I sometimes worry about what might happen, but it's never happened. You know, the worst, yeah. even when the worst happened, I came out of it okay. We're pretty resilient as, as individuals and I think as long as you've got the drive and the passion to do something you love, you'll be fine. I think that would have saved an awful lot. It was, it's, yeah, save a lot of an awful lot of anxieties, worrying about stuff that I can't control. It'll be fine in the end. It'll work out okay. Yeah, no, that, that's good advice. And you know, it, it's obviously uh, you know a number of people that I've interviewed have have said you know looking back, absolutely that's the message they would have, or what they would love to have known when they when they were eighteen years old. So that's brilliant. Yeah, and I think any point in time, um, just just live in the moment a bit more. I mean, I'm not, I, I could I practice a lot better myself, to be honest. But just 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 be, be living the moment a bit more and, and enjoy what you're doing and be happy where you are and some content around the things that you're doing. If you want to change something, by all means go and change it. But just generally be a bit more chilled out, I think. I could probably I could probably do that to myself. I'd probably advise myself now as well, not just when I was eighteen, chill out a little bit more. Yeah, no, it's always difficult when you you know, you know, to to sort of sometimes apply those things. So again, it's just being conscious of them. So yeah, no, that's that's really good. Well, uh, Matt, um, it's been a really um, uh, awesome. I think probably about an hour now we've been chatting. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I just you know, all I want to say is thank you so much for sharing your journey. You know, sharing those insights from from your career and sharing how you work through some of the challenges. So you know, it's been really wonderful. So thank you. Um, I guess just before we end off, two short questions. Um, is there any particular book uh, that, that you'd recommend to listeners? Um, one that springs to mind. I have a whole list from you, but if there's one that, that jumps out. And no worries if um, yeah, one doesn't. There is one, actually. There is. Um, it's it's um, Anne Rod creating... Uh, I think it's creating teams or creating great teams. Um, there's not lots of stuff out there about teamwork. And um, I really enjoyed the stuff I did relationship coaching wise with, with, and it was about five weeks worth of weekends training. Um, but really Amrod in her book, I, I think there's still quite a few really, really simple things in the book. Like, it's quite a small book that you can take away, but it's, it's a really good, good thing to work on relationships, work on teams, get people focused. I quite like that as a book, really. That's one of a, a nice book to look at. Um, another one. Uh, hmm. I, I do a lot of product stuff these days. I got to say, the whole um, uh, the whole strategizer series of books is just amazing. Uh, you know the stuff That's, they do. Uh, Osterwalder, Osterwalder, Alex. Yeah. Is it Alex Osterwalder? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. That's a great book. Yeah. Stuff, so having a small company, running experience. I've seen him talk a few times. They use his tools a lot. Um, and they're really, really cool for growing products and growing businesses. And I'm, I'm, for me, I'm, I'm trying to trying to help people think, get a bit, shift their mindset a little bit, rather than looking at output, looking at outcomes. Really, so anything that really shifts that. So all that stuff's just a, you know, I think interesting. It has its place. It has its place really if you're doing new business generation or building new businesses. It has its place there. There are aspects from it you can bring along to what most organisations do around IT delivery as well. So, yeah, no, those are great recommendations. And I'll also, I mean, I'll, I'll include them in the show notes when I publish the podcast so uh, listeners can just go and find them on Amazon. I'll also have a look at the, um, the one you mentioned about job recrafting um, and uh, post the link up there for listeners to follow as well. Uh, I guess, and then finally, where can listeners find out more about you or get in contact with you? So um, we have, Belimin will have a website. Um, you can go and see us there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm a little bit quiet. It's one of those things I'm not great at. It's the marketing side of it. Still working on that. 
But um, yeah, you can find us um, on our website, Beliminal, on LinkedIn um, and Twitter as well. We're on there as well as, as an organization. So yeah, you can find out about us there. Okay, that's brilliant. Super. I'll post those links up on the show notes as well. So, so they're easy to find. Um, and uh, hopefully people get in touch and uh, can talk to you some, some more about the, 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 the great coaching that you do. Thanks, Gunter. Brilliant. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, thank you for your time. And that concludes interview number 10. So all I can say again is thank you, Matt. Uh, thank you for sharing your time with us, for sharing your journey, your insights. Uh, it was a really great chat. Uh, it could have easily gone on for another hour. Uh, Matt has a great wealth of knowledge and frameworks that he's used to develop not only himself, but that he continuously uses to develop others. So certainly if you think some of that could be of help uh, to you, please reach out to Matt um, and see how he could possibly help you on your learning journey or your organization. And just before we finish off, uh, as usual, I'd like to finish with some of my key takeaways. And uh, the first one that jumps out to me is something that, that Matt said, and it is, you know, we're training off, or often we're training for a job that doesn't exist. And I guess this is the case in many instances, whether it's school or college or university. But I think the important thing is that although some of the knowledge that you gain in going through those processes may become outdated, the key bits to take away uh, or the key bits to take away is that you're actually learning to learn. And those are skills that you con can continuously reapply and you can learn new stuff again and again and again. So I think that's really key. You know, don't see it as a once-off investment. Uh, see it as something that's going to persist through your life and through your career. Uh, Matt spoke a lot about values. Uh, I'm not going to list those values off now. Obviously, we talked about them in the interview. But I think what was key for me was that uh, Matt said, you know, it took a while for him to arrive at those values. And he developed those values over time. And then constantly he used those values to keep on applying to his situation and evaluating if the situation was still right for him. And, you know, he says uh, it was at those times when he decided it was time to move on or time to pivot. And now, no doubt, in the future, he might get to that point too. And um, so, yeah, something just to bear in mind uh, about the importance of values. Um, the other thing that sprung out was that move, I guess, from a learning or an academic or a schooling environment to work is no one really prepares you for that. And I guess nowadays it is a bit better because there's a lot of workplace placement and uh, internships and those sorts of things. A lot of students and scholars kind of work uh, alongside their studies. So, again, that's something we've discussed before, but certainly uh, I'd encourage you to, to do that and get a taste, I think, of the working world alongside your studies. It really is invaluable. Uh, one of the, well, I guess this is probably the main thing that sprung out uh, of the interview for me, and this is such a great takeaway. And Matt said that change doesn't happen without emotion. And I guess it's, you know, we, we look back and think, well, why did I stay in that job so long? Or why did I not change my situation? And I think it's obviously there's that lack of emotion to kind of drive that change. So that's really great. I mean, just sit back and let that let that think in. Change doesn't happen without emotion. That's a really great takeaway. Um, again, back to the values, I suppose. And um, what Matt said is, you know, understand your values and live by them, but don't overlive one of them or, 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 you know, he talked about burnout and how important it was to bring balance. And so that's really key is, is, is balance, uh, especially if, you know, only one value is, is, is driving you and you sort of neglecting the others. Um, other things that sprung out to me, um, was about pushing yourself outside your comfort zone um, you know, but equally so if you keep on doing something and you're not enjoying it, you know, stop doing that because you're just not going to draw any value or, or, or enjoyment from it. Um, other things uh, Matt spoke about were, were partnering and working with people. So, you know, even if you do like working alone, uh, don't underestimate the importance and don't forget about partnering with people and working with people to, you know, grow yourself and, uh, and your career. Uh, and then, I think the final note that I want to draw out here is what uh, Matt referred to as perfectionism potentially holding you back and how sometimes being a perfectionist can be a challenge and it's about drawing that balance between what's good enough and what's perfection. So uh, again, uh, I think that's an interesting point and it's about balance, I suppose, you know, finding that balance between perfect and, and good enough and uh, ultimately, you know, not getting stuck on something 
but still whatever it is you're doing, delivering something of high quality. So there were also a number of resources that um, Matt spoke about. I won't reiterate or drill into those now. I will list them in the show notes. There was quite a lot there, both in terms of books and frameworks. There's a YouTube video and a, a great HBR article as well. So I'll post those all in the show notes. You know, feel free to follow the links and look at that in some more detail. And then just to wrap up, yeah, thanks again for listening. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate the feedback that I get either via the podcast platforms or via LinkedIn where a lot of feedback comes from. So please, yeah, reach out, have a chat. Um, I love to hear from you. I love engaging with the listeners and I look forward to talking to you in the next show. Bye-bye and take care.